welcome to Let's Hear It. Let's Hear It is a podcast for and about the field of foundation and nonprofit communications produced by its two co-hosts, Eric Brown and Kirk Brown. No relation. Well said, Eric. And I'm Kirk. And I'm Eric. The podcast is generously sponsored by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation. We're talking to people about their work and what's happening in the field with the hopes of making this growing arena just a little bit more accessible to us all. You can find Let's Hear It on any podcast subscription platform. You can find us on Twitter at Let's Hear It Cast. And you can email us at hello at Let's Hear Cast.com. Let us know if you have any thoughts about what you hear today, including people we should have on the show. And please, please rate us on iTunes. Yes, please rate us on iTunes. And if you have a fun story to tell, we'd love to hear that too. Now let's get to the show. All right, everybody. Welcome back into Let's Hear It. Eric? set this up for us. This is a really, really special episode, I think, of Let's Hear It. Well, I spoke with Phil Buchanan, who is the president or the CEO or something of the Center for Effective Philanthropy. And Center for Effective Philanthropy is an organization that's been working with foundations on helping them better understand how to just be effective. And their signature thingy is the grantee perception <laughs> report with the... <laughs> I think it's signature thinking. It is, is a good signature thinking. Isn't yeah, it? I mean, yeah. you can call it that, right? Yeah. And Phil is the author of a new book called Giving Done Right, Effective Philanthropy and Making Every Dollar Count. Phil and I talked about the book. We talked a little bit about his background and we talked about essentially – I mean it was a, a fun conversation that – it was a kind of a survey course in modern oh American philanthropy. Yeah, you know, Phil is actually the founding chief executive at the Center for Effective Philanthropy and uh, – I got to say, having heard this, and we'll say no more after I say this, and then we'll cut and we'll come back. Mr. Brown, you were throwing heat. <laughs> Man, it was like watching someone come in for the bullpen, and all of a sudden he's dropping 100 mile. <laughs> Phil, Phil had fast falls. The curve was working. Sliders were coming at him. And can we just say we've had some thank yous on this, but Phil, thank you for coming on this podcast and thank you for writing this book. Phil has written a very important piece of work here. We'll talk more about it after, but man, Eric and Phil. All right, let's buckle up. Let's go to the tape. My guest today is Phil Buchanan, who is the president of the Center for Effective Philanthropy and the author of the new book, Giving Done Right, Effective Philanthropy and Making Every Dollar Count. Well, it's about time, Phil, that you've written a book because you've been doing this for, what, 18 years? Yeah, it's been been a, a, a little while, Eric. Yes, 18 years as of August. Yeah. So you're you're dug in like a tick. Exactly. At the Center for Effective Philanthropy. And uh, having gathered up uh, 18 years worth of stories, I take it, and having looked at this industry from from your perspective, you you finally have something to say. So I think everyone should be quite proud of you. Especially I've seen you know. some stuff. I've seen some <laughs> stuff. And so I wanted to I wanted to write a little bit about it. The second cut line is he's seen some stuff. Well, we're, we're going to we're going to get into that soon enough. But first, I just wanted to talk. I just wanted to get a sense of like, who are you, uh, Phil? I know you, I've known you for quite some time. How on earth did you end up in this kind of if if working at a philanthropy is a weird kind of detached from reality and human beings on the planet job? Someone who supports philanthropy seems like almost a mystical metaphysical position. Can you talk just a little bit about what <laughs> what what a person who tries to help philanthropy help other people right. help other people? Well, that's that, exactly what uh, Vince Staley, who's on our board, always says is we're the people who help the people, help the people, help the people. Um, it's I, like snooker. There's no, there's, it's like it's a pool table with no holes in it. <laughs> so I don't really know how exactly I ended up doing this. Um and, uh, you know, I, I'll try to not take you too much down the long road of twists and turns. But uh, I, I grew up uh, the son of a guy who was a real committed kind of social activist. And, and I watched my dad uh, do all kinds of crazy things to try to make a difference in the world, like lie on train tracks to stop the train that was taking the nuclear warheads up to the uh, base in Washington State. Uh, yeah, that's and, uh, doing something. Yeah, the train did stop. Uh, From the ridiculous but, to the sublime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, 
you know, and I had a lot of admiration for for his his sort of life of of, of activism, and and then I took a completely different path. Uh, I mean, I wor- worked in higher ed for a little while. Then I went to business school. He wasn't alive to see that, but he probably would have cringed. Uh, and then I went, and he would have cringed even more. And worked at a, a big strategy consulting firm, uh, consulting to the corporate world. And I realized, no, you know, like I do, I do, I, I do want to do something that I feel is um, is a, is a little bit a uh, little bit more positive in terms of the difference that it's making. And uh, I was attracted to the idea of helping these institutions that have a lot of money and power, uh, not a lot of feedback mechanisms, uh, get some sense of whether they were on the right track and how they might uh, be able to do better. So uh, I took the job, uh, was hired by a founding board, like we said, 18 years ago, and and tried to begin the process of seeing if CEP could be a helpful resource uh, to foundations in particular, and now more broadly to to uh, donors uh, who might not be doing their giving through foundations as well. Yeah, which is quite interesting, and we'll definitely get into that. So now we can say, I think, with total confidence that you are lying across the metaphorical train tracks, trying <laughs> yeah. to stop, you know, useless money from getting spent in the wrong direction. That's right. That's right. That's, but it's, yeah, it's it's a little bit less uh, death defying. <laughs> That's right. You're not going to lose your head. No. <laughs> or your literal head, your, your, exactly. your, meta, your metaphorical head could go. <laughs> um, so you and I, we go way back. I remember when I I was starting at the Hewlett Foundation in 2003 and you had you were just finding the, you know, just getting yourself going at the Center for Effective Philanthropy. And I remember I'll just throw a little bit of shared history when uh, the Hewlett Foundation did our grantee perception report that was conducted by this organization that nobody had heard of. Really? Right. I mean, a little bit, you know, you were getting going, but still. And uh, I remember Kevin Baldick came in, your, who is still with you. I mean, I, I I will say that that is a testament to something, that the <laughs> two of you are still working together after all this time. Our inability uh, to figure out what comes next in our careers. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what is it? Uh, uh, um, anyway, creative ennui. Uh, exactly. But um, and Kevin came in and did a presentation that said your grantees think this, that and the other about you. And some of it was, you know, some of it was nice and some of it was not so nice. Like they have no idea what your goals and strategies are, I believe, was one of the findings from that particular grantee perception report. And uh, and Paul Brest came into my office and he said, that was interesting. I said, yeah, that was great. He said, we should put that on our website. I said, that's a great idea. And and we did. And we were one of the first, we were the large, first largest large foundation to make the grantee perception report available on the website, uh, which did not endear me to my friends in the business. <laughs> it also prompted a New York Times article, uh, the headline of which was something like uh, uh, charities surprise donor foundations with their blunt feedback or something like that. And, <laughs> Uh, Joel Fleischman, who uh, I don't know if he was at Duke yet at that time or whether he was still at Atlantic um, Philanthropies, but he said the very fact that the Hewlett Foundation simply making public the results of a comparative survey of of its grantees would prompt would be seen as noteworthy enough to prompt an article in The New York Times tells you a lot about big foundations. Yes, needless to say, the, yes, the black holey type institutions. I guess the the funny thing was that my friends would come up to me and say, "Oh my God, what was the process that you had to go through to determine to post the grantee perception report on the Hewlett website publicly? What what kind right. of process did you have to go through?" I said, "Here was the process." Paul walked into my office. He said, "Let's put it on the website." I said, "Okay." That was the process. And like yeah. people just smacking themselves in the head like, oh, my God, we could never do that. And so, you know, Paul was fearless and visionary. And at the same time, you didn't have to be either of those things to say, hey, here's what our grantees think of us. And here's what we think about what they think of us and what we're going to do as a result. That it, it seemed like an obvious thing to do, but it wasn't, which I guess says a lot about what philanthropy was like in 2003 or four, whenever we did that. 
Yeah, and it's a lot different now. And I think I think you and Paul and um, Hewlett and then the other foundations that were early to solicit this kind of feedback, whether through us or in some cases well before us uh, through other mechanisms, though though those weren't necessarily comparative in the way our process is. But the the but you know the the willingness to do that and to be public about it um, has really changed, and it's become. Uh, more of a default expectation that you would get that kind of feedback and you would communicate back about it uh, than at the time that you're describing when the default was exactly the opposite. Yeah. So uh, here's segue alert. We're going to get into what you've learned over these years. Yeah. Um, but first, so, all right, you've written a book about philanthropy. That's yeah. nice. Um, what, what do you think other than your own is the best book on philanthropy? Boy, that's uh, you're you're creating all kinds of uh, political problems for me uh, here. So, <laughs> well, we're going to te- we're about to test your political skills. The people I'm going to uh, <laughs> infuriate, uh, but but you know, uh, I think there have been a lot of good books about about philanthropy. I think one that is particularly instructive, which is not really a book about philanthropy, but is uh, I think relevant to every big donor is The Prize by Dale Russikoff about the missteps in Newark by uh, Mark Zuckerberg and others. Um, And I think there's just a lot of lessons in that book. I think that Paul and Hal have written a book and then a revised uh, edition that is a really great uh, guide to philanthropy. I think Joel and Tom's book uh, is also an important resource, uh, a book that probably doesn't get as much attention as it deserves uh, in the U.S. because it's by an author in the U.K. named Caroline Fines. I think it's called It Ain't What You Give, It's How You Give It, is a really good resource uh, for, for donors. And, and then I, I really learned a lot from Olivier Zunz's um, history of philanthropy, uh, which I believe has the creative title American Philanthropy, A History, or something like that. Uh, and then, and then obviously Joel's, uh, first book, the foundation is, is, is a great uh, resource as well. So I think there are a bunch of them. If I were to just recommend one, I think it would be the prize because it's such a powerful cautionary tale of thinking you can make change happen top down, which is a mistake that a lot of donors make. Okay. So now I ask the obvious next question, given all those wonderful books about philanthropy, why do we need another one? Well, that is a great question. Um, you know, <laughs> you'll, you'll have to read it and tell me whether, whether in <laughs> fact we do or not. Uh, Why are you running for president, Mr. Kennedy? No, <laughs> I, I, you know, some of the resources out there are much more geared toward really the mega, mega givers um, or the institutional donors. I tried to write something that was relevant to givers at a range of sizes because I think a lot of the um, lessons and insights are universal I think I also had a point to make that I didn't really see anybody else making about a trap to avoid that I see so many people fall into, which is uh, thinking that uh, what is relevant in business is relevant in philanthropy. There's a lot of, especially over the last two decades, there's been a lot of foisting of business frameworks and metaphors onto philanthropy in a way that I think has um, often not been helpful uh, and I and I wanted to argue against that and show uh, that, in fact, this is a unique discipline and that there are some insights that I think through our research at CEP over the last 18 years and, and just my experience seeing a lot of successes and failures up close, I thought there was something at, to contribute, you know, to the conversation about what what good giving looks like. And then the last point I would make is a lot of books about philanthropy, even the good ones. Um, don't have many stories about real people uh, running nonprofit organizations, working at those organizations, or being helped by those organizations. And I wanted to tell some of those stories because I think we often uh, take for granted the, the the people who make up the nonprofit sector and and the ways in which that sector touches all of us. 
Um, I, I will also ask the other obligatory question of the sure. day, which is there the other big book right now that's got everybody's t- tongue wagging is Anand Giridharadas' yeah. book, um, Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World. Yeah. So you know where his perspective is uh, from just from the title. I won't ask you what you think of the book. I will okay. we'll leave that for another time or another place. Uh, there's lo- been lots of conversation about it. But I, I guess I want to ask you is why do you think that book is attracting people's imaginations right now what is it about it that's got tongues wagging and you know why is there space in our field for that that kind of critique whether it's valid critique or not or whatever we won't get into that but why is this book popular i don't know that i can answer that question without without betraying a little bit of what i think about the book but i go ahead you can betray there's betray. a there's a piece of the critique that I very much agree with that relates to what I was talking about. But, you know, Anand calls it market world um, and this kind of happy talk of, you know, we can all get rich and change the world. Uh, there are no trade offs. You know, it's a floor wax and a dessert topping kind of deal that that I think is ridiculous. And, and there's been a, a sort of market triumphalism, a denial of the reality of market failure, uh, a elevation of business above other sectors when the reality is we need three distinct sectors uh, and they play distinct roles and none of them are doing as well as they could. Uh, and I think I think that critique um, gets leveled you know effectively by Anand and I think it resonates for for a lot of people in the nonprofit sector and outside of it. Uh, the part of his critique that I that I have more misgivings about, is the kind of broad brush uh, perspective that that most or all uh, philanthropy, at least on the on the sort of big donor end, is tainted by self preservation or is some kind of elaborate ruse to buttress reputations uh, and take focus away from all kind of kinds of uh, evil doing uh, on 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 the other hand in the in the business world, and I just think that's unfair. Uh, I think it is way overly generalized, but I think it plays in to a lot of understandable uh, anger and frustration about wealth inequality. Um, And, you know, I I think there's been, though, an unfortunate and sort of hard for me to understand conflation of frustration about, for example, uh, our approach to taxation that our elected representatives have put into place with uh, condemnation of philanthropy uh, when, you know, many of the big donors that I talk to say, yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, somebody just said this to me the other day. Yeah, it's ridiculous that I pay 28%, you know, because all my, and this person's roughly a billionaire, uh, uh, you know, and he said, all my, I probably pay uh, way less in, in tax than, than, than you do, Phil. And that's because I make all my money, you know, on, on capital gains. It's ridiculous. I should be taxed at a higher rate. Meantime, I've got all this wealth and I'm trying to do as much good with it as I can. And that particular person is very much focused on inequality uh, and the inequality of funding of public education, for example. And my view would be, don't we want to encourage him uh, (laughs) rather than uh, make him wonder, you know, why even bother if we're going to paint all philanthropy with the kind of broad brush that I fear that uh, Anand uh, has it? if not in the book, in, in some of his other, other writing and social media posts. Well, that's a nice take on that. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and then we will be back in part two with Phil Buchanan of the Center for Effective Philanthropy and the author of Giving Done Right. You're listening to Let's Hear It, a podcast about foundation and nonprofit communications, hosted by Kirk Brown and Eric Brown. Let's Hear It is made possible through the generous support of the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation. You can find Let's Hear It online at letshearitcast.com or on Twitter at at Let's Hear It Cast. If you're enjoying the show, please rate us on iTunes so more people can find us. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. And we're back with Phil Buchanan. Phil is the president of the Center for Effective Philanthropy and a longtime colleague. And thanks again for coming on the show. This is a, this is a great conversation. I'm really enjoying myself. Um, I wanted to go back from to a, a little story that you told in the book about how you, you were, do I have this right? You were a door to door fundraiser. 
I was. Hi, I'm Phil. I'm from Oregon Fair Share. We're the organization uh, working to help make healthcare more affordable for everyone here in the state. That's, so that's the part a- that slammed the door. So that's a really great way to raise money, right? But this is, I mean, this is like, so you went, from, you went from being a door-to-door fundraiser to someone who is helping people, foundations and individuals figure out how to give money wisely, which you uh, caution that giving money door-to-door is like someone who answers money at the door, for asks for money at the door is like the worst possible way to, to do philanthropy. It, it, to me, it sounds like it's like going from playing the kazoo in the subway to conducting at Carnegie Hall. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that, but but that was funny. I, I think uh, I think it's actually a pretty effective way to raise money. Um, and that's why, you know, that's why you walk out of your office door and there are people, you know, on the sidewalk with with clipboards trying to talk to you. Uh, but it's not effective uh, a, a good way to make decisions about where to give. Uh, and, and so that's, that's the distinction I was, I was trying to make. I want to get back to the core business of the, of the center for effective philanthropy, or at least the thing that you're known for the most, the grantee perception report. Um, on the one hand, you're asking for the opinions of the people with whom you work closely. If you're a fundraiser, uh, sorry, a grant maker, yeah. uh, but I think there's a deeper question, which is, and I, I don't mean to say this in a in a way that's that's disrespectful or in a, in any way, or or you know, tra- I mean, I guess the question is, why do grantees' perceptions matter? You know, uh, sometimes your grantees like, oh my god, my my funder is great. They just give me the money and they go away, and they don't ask me any questions, and I don't have to justify what I'm spending or any of that. The best funder ever. Obviously, that's not always what happens. But t- can you just talk a little bit about this relationship between the funder and the grantee, and why that grantee perception is so important? Yeah, I mean, I I guess I I think that well, when we were first thinking about um, creating the grantee perception report, the analog in my head was student surveys, and I had worked in higher education administration at two different colleges. And uh, we could only make sense of student survey data in a comparative context because people kind of like college, you know, and so they tended to rate high on an absolute scale. And and I think students didn't want, you know, professors or universities that just let them do, let them do whatever they want. You know, they actually wanted to get something uh, out of the experience and 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 to be challenged. And and so. I, I guess by just by way of analog, I would say nonprofits are, are are the same, right? They're not just looking for funders to give them support and go away. If they were, we would see sort of like a linear relationship between grantee perceptions and grant size, and we don't. There's not much of a relationship at all. Um, and if you're a funder and you're trying to do your work uh, by giving grants, then if a grantee doesn't see you, for example, as clear in your communication about your goals and strategy, what leads you to believe they're going to be effective in implementing against those goals and strategy? If a grantee doesn't uh, feel that you're approachable if a problem arises, then if you're a program officer, you're not going to hear what's really going on on the ground. If you don't hear that, you're not going to be able to iterate your strategy in order for it to be effective. So I think it's got to be a, you know, a, a, a relationship uh, that has some, some trust and, and openness and, and, and communication uh, in order for the funder to be effective in working with all of these various grantees toward shared uh, goals. And, uh, you know, it is true that we we get pushback all the time, uh, particularly at larger foundations from folks who say, no, 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 no. If our grantees, you know, really rate us low, then we're doing something right uh, because we're holding them you know, <laughs> to high standards and and they hate us. Yay. Displeasure is just the inevitable collateral damage of our relentless pursuit of impact. <laughs> and I just think that's BS. I mean, I think the opposite is true. Uh, and, um, you know, it's a hard thing to prove definitively, but I think we have enough um, sort of uh, examples now to show that that the most effective foundations uh, really do have relationships with grantees that that are reflected in, in, in positive GPR uh, results. And, and, you know, I think, in if you think about any of your relationships, I mean, nobody wants a relationship in which 
uh, the person just you know doesn't doesn't challenge them or doesn't right right. I mean, of of course there there can be healthy debate and difference of opinion and and all of that doesn't mean that a grantee is going to rate the funder uh, low on the on the GPR survey. I we I have so many questions for you, Phil. <laughs> In the time we have left, I'll try. I got all the time in the world, Eric. <laughs> yeah, like this ninety-nine part conversation with Bill Buchanan. <laughs> um, I, I want to nominally. This is a podcast about communication, so I would yeah. be remiss if I didn't ask a little bit about that. Great. Um, and you talk a little bit about communications in the book, but I want to push back slightly on on that. Okay. Um, and and I don't blame you or anybody else for it because am I co-host Kirk Brown and I have had this running commentary about how the word communication or communications is just a bad word should be banned. We should come up with something better or different because I think it produces uh, misperceptions about what people in the persuasion business uh, really, what, what that really encompasses. And communications comes up in the book as a, I would say, a, a mid-level component of effective grant making. I think it gets a page or two. And while I, I, I have no plans to write a book about communications, um, I just wanted to push back on uh, why you think, or kind of why you think communications hasn't risen to that level of high strategy that uh, folks like me and, and many others, I think, Grant Oliphant, your board chair, who I interviewed on the show recently also seems to think. And let me just throw at you what I think the definition of communications is, yeah. which is, you know, I, and it's, it's not far off from, from uh, strategic grant making, which is identifying a set of goal, a goal or set of goals, the people who, if they do those things, you can say that you achieved it. Um, coming up with ways to communicate with those people that speak to their values and then activating on that, doing your tactics. That's communications as far as I'm concerned, which is you couldn't disentangle it from your foundation's activities if you wanted to. Um, do, do you, do, do, can you improve on that um, or can you just at least comment on it? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I agree with where you started. It's, a, it's not the best word, right? I mean, so I, I agree with you that at some level, communications permeates everything. So I, you know, I the, it, I, I think there are, in fact, just to set the record straight, five pages that are that are <laughs> on I, on sort of external communications from a foundation, right? You know, but 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 at, at another level, uh, communications, you know, permeates, like you said, everything. Uh, related to what it takes to be effective. So I talk about the importance of establishing, you know, clear and specific goals. Uh, and I write about the Hilton Foundation's efforts to get clearer and clearer internally, and then to communicate effectively about those goals, such that their grantees understood what it was the foundation was trying to do, what the shared work was. Uh, you know, I write about strategy and the challenge of um, getting to coherent strategy uh, you know, part of the communication issue there is that sometimes when the strategy gets communicated as the foundations rather than a shared strategy across uh, institutions uh, where the communication burden is shared and the credit is shared, that doesn't work out so well. Right. But 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 totally I agree. I agree that communications is, is you know, cross cutting. And I certainly didn't mean to get it, give it short shrift in the in the book. I, I guess I. I feel like I feel like uh, the thing that I worry about, and I, I said something on Twitter like a year and a half ago, and and I, I have a lot of friends, you know, uh, in, like you, Eric, who you know have been or 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 were at the time in communications roles at foundations, and I said something about like foundations shouldn't be too obsessed with brand, uh, and uh, that it can be counterproductive to obsess too much on brand because you're in a collaborative context, not a competitive context, uh, like in a business. And, and, uh, that sometimes the most effective thing to do is actually step out of the spotlight, right. Uh, and let somebody else, uh, get the credit. Uh, and there's lots of great examples of that in philanthropy. And I, I got just like, you know, 
dragged through the mud on Twitter for not just as important in philanthropy as it is in as it is in business. But but I I would maintain still that it's that it's different. And there 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 can be like a counterproductive focus on brand and credit and communications at the foundation level, as opposed to what you're talking about, which is which is focusing on you know it entirely uh, within the perspective of what does it take for us to have the impact that we want. Yeah. Well, so this is interesting. I would have, I, I missed that little flaming incident that you experienced and I feel bad for you because I would have absolutely taken to your defense because I'm going to re I'm going to rebrand brand right now. I just yeah. thought about this as, as we were talking, which yeah. is brand is the feeling that people get when they think about you and your brand can be that person is smart and they step back when necessary. That brand can be they are leading in areas that need leadership. The right. br- and and the same institution can encompass those two things, which is yeah. why I say communications isn't an activity. It's a mindset. Mm-hmm. It's understanding the context in which your work occurs and the role that you play to either get information or ideas into the right places so that mm-hmm. they get activated properly. That's yeah. what communications is. And people, if they hear communications and they think, oh, they want us to tweet. You know, they right. just think about the activity, not right. the mindset. Right. And I've always said that every program officer should under, should have a communications mindset in which they say, what are the goals? Who are the audiences? Who are the decision makers? What do they care about? How do we get messages to those people? Who's the right messenger? Is it us? Is it our grantees? Is right. it some other elected official? And then what can we do within our sphere of influence and opportunity and using our grant dollars to make that all happen? That's a communications mindset. You could have the greatest communications director at a foundation in which the foundation never says a word. And they could be phenomenally successful if that's the proper context. Yeah. Oh my God, I get off my soapbox. No, I agree um, with you. I agree with you. And I, and I think that's how we should be evaluating communications. Right, right. But I mean, I think the reality is, and I, you know, is that there are a particularly at larger foundations, um, I've seen, you know, more than one or two examples of a conflation of press mentions with impact. Or, oh yeah. Oh God, don't get me started. Yeah. Yeah. Hits means nothing. Right. Um, but but, uh, you know, I do think that the central thesis of your book is totally consistent with what I just said. I mean, it's it's utterly consistent, which is you understand the context in which your organization does its work. Right. And you use your dollars to their best effect, understanding that one size never fits all. And that if you ask the right questions and you go at it with the, uh, rigor and intelligence, then you know, and you listen carefully to a host of people who know a lot about what they're doing, not the least of whom are your own grantees, then you're far more likely to get a lot more done than if you hadn't. That that spirit of inquiry is at the core of what you do. Agreed. And, and, and you know, one of the things that I'm sure you've seen, you know, just as closely as I have, or just as, as up close as I have as the tendency. Um, and maybe it's just a human thing. It's not specific to philanthropy, but for folks to flock to a particular thing as the answer without thinking adequately in the ways that you're describing about the particular context. So let's do, you know, every foundation should do capacity building. Every foundation should influence policy. Every foundation should, you know, no, it's all about impact investing. Uh, you know, it's big bets. It's no, it's small bets. It's medium bets is the thing I'm going to uh, advocate for next uh, to be the trend. You know, I mean, and 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 I get it. Like people want easy answers, and there aren't any. Yeah, sadly, the question, the answer to every single question in the universe is it depends. Exactly. Okay, so my last question for you is this: having you know, written this book and I, I have now read this book. If you had a hundred million dollars, if someone dropped a bag of a hundred that had a hundred million dollars in it on your head and it didn't kill you when you came to and picked it up, what would you do with it? Oh, that's, that's, you're, you're actually asking the hardest question of all. I mean, I, I, <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> should have been prepared for this one. Uh, 
there's so many good things you could do with $100 million, obviously. And I think my tendency would be um, to try to uh, find something uh, awesome that isn't getting the attention that it deserves. Uh, and and uh, because there is so much of the kind of herd mentality we talked about. And, and try to help do that uh, in, a, in a big way. So, um, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know exactly what that would look like. You know, if it was $100 million, I think, I think uh, you know, I'd have, to, I'd have to consult my wife about what, how we should give it away uh, <laughs> most effectively. But, but um, you know, I, I, I look at... Um, Good start. Yeah. I mean, I, I, one of the things that I, that I talk about in the book is like the... the the tension between, you know, the perspective of the effective altruists, for example, who say like, hey, Phil, with that money, you could save or dramatically alter the life trajectory, save lives or dramatically alter the life trajectory of so many people in developing countries. And, and so I would probably want to take a chunk of the money and, and follow that advice, you know, and figure out like, what are people dying needlessly of uh, that they don't need to uh, die of uh, that, you know, that I could help contribute to. But at the same time, we all feel this natural human instinct to also want to give in our communities. And I think the, you know, the hardcore effective altruist would say, no, that's the wrong decision. I don't believe that. I think, I think we're right. wired to do that. And I think I would also look for some things, um, you know, closer to, to, to the communities that, that I've grown up in uh, that, 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 that are inspiring uh, and that are giving, you know, opportunities to people who wouldn't otherwise have them. You know, I've, I, in the course of doing research on the book, you know, I had the opportunity to kind of, uh, you know, fall in love with a couple of different, uh, organizations, some of which I write about, you know, and that are just totally inspiring and, uh, and I, and, and, uh, and helping people who are the most vulnerable, uh, in our, in our society. And I think I would want to, uh, dedicate some of my resources to those, uh, organizations as well. Um, I should have a better answer to that question, Eric, but you know, it's a, it's a, it, there is no, it's a super personal thing ultimately. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, uh, and I would have to wrestle with that and I haven't given it much thought cause it's not, it's not likely to happen. It's not going to happen. You never know. Well, um, maybe you can make this a, you can do a blog post on it and we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll follow up and we'll do another yeah. show. Um, Phil Buchanan, uh, thank you so much for your time and for a really great conversation. Thanks for a terrific book. I really enjoyed it. it you know what? It was. It's like a cookbook in that it's got a little, it's got a recipe for all of the kinds of dishes I'm interested in learning about. Um, you, you do actually, I'm, I'm, just, I'm not saying this um, to, to, to rev you up, but it's true that um, you, you actually do address a lot of the issues that I, I, and I think a lot of my my colleagues have been thinking about uh, in in thoughtful ways, and it's it's a really useful um, opportunity to begin to continue to chew on some of these big questions, and I, I really do recommend it for that. Uh, and uh, and again, thank you again. Um, thanks for your time. It's it's uh, it's been great. The book's giving done right, effective philanthropy, and making every dollar count. Phil Buchanan, president of the Center for Effective Philanthropy. Thank you again. Thank you, Eric. I really enjoyed talking with you as always. All right, everybody. Ah, Eric and what'd Phil. You, what'd you think? Uh, okay, so I loved it, but man, how about some softballs, Eric? <laughs> <laughs> Why another book about philanthropy? You know, come on. So, like, you know, um, Senator Kennedy, why are you running for president? If you can't answer the question, you oh. can't be president, right? And I thought he answered the. I thought he answered the question perfectly well. Look, you yeah. got to be got to be ready. Why did you write another book on oh. philanthropy? I think it's a fair question. Look, it's a fair question, but come on. Okay, I'm going to tell you why he's why. So first, Phil knows what he's talking about. Yes, clear, right? Yeah, it's extremely approachable writing. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's totally. A, it's a super one. Also, it wasn't a mean question. It's such a mean question. No, it was there, a nice question. It was a softball. Not a softball. I was, I was soft toss. He's you know I play baseball, and before the game, the guy he throws the ball soft for you so that you can hit it, and then you get in the game. Of course, you strike out. But it was a it was an easy question. So let me tell you, I feel like it's one of the most comprehensive landscape views of everything involving philanthropy, which also requires you to touch everything involving nonprofits that mm -hmm. I've ever read. So it's so it's extraordinary there. And then 
it's got the little device. Every chapter has the summary. Right. So you know what you read. Yeah. So genius, right? But then here's the so best part. on the test. Here's the great part about the book. Phil picks some fights. Yeah, he does. He's got a point of view. Yeah, he does. So here's my question for you. Was your conversation about communications? <laughs> I don't know. I think it was entirely about I communications. I guess it was. He's written a book. It's, it's a true. communications tool. The book is a communications tool. At least it has been. Uh, yeah, I guess it's a conversation. I mean, well, I, obviously I injected the communications thingy into it Yeah. because I, I thought that uh, – you, you, we've had this. We've had this conversation. You and I have had this conversation before about what is communications, and it's a bad word, and people don't understand it, and they think it's just tactics. And I wanted to probe a little bit on how, how he feels about that, and to just chide him gently about giving what I thought was short shrift to communications, and it's actually even small c communications, but to also try and make some. I don't know. I, I tried to make some news by <laughs> by <laughs> by coming up with a new definition for brand. Oh which, man! I, like I thought that was pretty good. You were you were throwing you were throwing <laughs> as well as I've ever seen you throw. I mean, you're on brand. You're talking about no. You came ready for this. So this is actually one of the things that struck me. And there's a lot. No, to, I didn't. I made that up as I went. You were you were on the top of your game. I, <laughs> you were on the top of your game. So what is it about this topic? This topic of helping philanthropists give more effectively that causes causes us all to lean forward in our chairs so much because that's what I felt like was going on. You guys had a very important conversation in the middle of the table. Phil has thought about this for a long time, written about it very thoroughly, Mm -hmm. and it causes us all, I feel like, to bring our A game. And so I'm curious about that because, again, you guys had – it was a a great conversation. I've been thinking about this for as long as I've been working in philanthropy, so it's uh, 16 years. And, and I've never really been able to answer my own question, which uh, is how do we know that this thing is working? Huh. And obviously, I think about it through the communications lens, but I've been thinking about it through the philanthropy lens as well. How do we know that what we're doing is making a difference? Now, it's interesting because we are in a time in which there is pushback against, you know, pick your definition or pick your vocabulary, the oligarchs, yeah. the rich people. <laughs> people are mad at Jeff Bezos. People are mad at whomever. Pick yeah. your pick your millionaire, billionaire, rather, yeah. uh, and concerned about concentrated wealth, and, and rightly so. And that does make space for Anand Giridardis, whose name, I apologize, I have mispronounced it in the past, which is, there's no excuse for that. Mm. Uh, but he, he, is, he is getting people, uh, his, his perspective is opening up a conversation. He does it in a way that it's kind of, you know, it's telegenic. Because you know, he's very strident. <laughs> but, but the point behind it is well made, which is that is the system that we are living in, in which philanthropy exists in this way, the concentration of wealth exists in that way. Is it working for everybody? I could certainly suggest that the, the system's not working for everybody, whether the solution or the, the, you know, the, the prescription for how to fix it is correct or not. I don't know. But to get back to your question – We've been trying to figure out inside philanthropy for a really long time, is our, ma- is our money making a difference? Yeah. And yeah. I, you, we can continue to have this conversation because it is art, not science, with regard to philanthropy. With regard to charity, you could say, did I, you know, like, did I distribute 500 turkeys on Thanksgiving? Yup. That's easy to count. Right. Did did our program to help reduce how, you know, homelessness or hunger – did it reduce homelessness or hunger? The the answer is often I think so or maybe not, but it's never absolutely. I we, you know we were the one that was that was specifically responsible for change turning the tide on this. I think there's very few places that we've been able to confidently make that that statement. Well, and you know one of the things I really like about the book, and then you guys talk about this a little bit in the interview too. Um, I think that Phil calls them inexact or imprecise analogs like that's Mm -hmm. one of the things he's doing with the book is trying to break down this idea that you just call this thing that thing and then this thing that thing so you don't just say oh the nonprofit model is broken but business is good or we need to bring this investment sensibility to um, our work with foundations and nonprofits because that's really what's needed 
And between the work he's done with the Center for Effective Philanthropy and then just all of the research he did for the book, I feel like he really did that part really well. Mm -hmm. You know, saying, and I'd be curious to get your take on this because you live, you still live in this and you swam in this for years, um, you know, at the foundation where you worked. But this idea that at the bottom, at the end of the day, you just have to be pretty thoughtful and careful about what you're doing. I feel like is is, is one of the big takeaways here and mm-hmm. not come at it with some preconceived notion about it's this or that. And we start using these words that actually don't make any sense when you really start digging into them or trying to understand what's actually underneath those words or talking about the field in certain ways that are reductive, unnecessarily reductive. Right. Well, my old boss, Paul Brest, wrote a book as well um, about philanthropy called Money Well Spent, which he co-wrote with Hal Harvey, and Phil refers to it. And, and, and Paul's, Paul and Hal's approach was pick a goal, <laughs> figure out how you're going to measure success, do a bunch of things, listen in response to, to how it's going, you know, keep checking yourself, lather, rinse, and repeat, but to be really specific about what it is you want to achieve. And th- there's been pushback on that as well in that – there, there's another camp which says pick smart people, give them money to solve problems and stop trying to tell them what to do. Mm. And I, I, I kind of go – almost go back and forth on this. Mm. And uh, with regard to communication strategy, I mm. think I do usually – you know, we pick a goal – which is what is the foundation trying to achieve or what is this what is the education program trying to achieve and how are they measuring success and who is it that they're trying to reach and are we how do we create messages that are meaningful for them how do we measure whether those messages are getting used or understood or adding to something or persuading certain decision makers and so that's communication strategy it is actually fairly directive and mm. even as I have to tell you, as we've been having these conversations, yeah. my, my, my brain is starting to slide a little bit. <laughs> uh, we, we spoke to Kristen Graham and she said that she looks – first she looks at the context in which an organization ex- is right. doing its work and yeah. trying to, tries to determine its specific role in solving the problem, which that helps my thinking as well. So uh, you, <laughs> the short answer is that I keep – I'm, I'm learning. I want to know why you're learning? Still, because we're on a journey of discovery. Oh my That's gosh. why you're learning. The journey of discovery okay, with so Kirk Brown. You mentioned, Paul, and actually one thing from your conversation that I really liked, and I want you to reflect on this because I actually thought it was it was a nice um, kind of bookmark – a nice nod to the past, but I think actually it points to something that's kind of interesting about the field. So you talk about, Paul, walking into your, your office. Uh, you're the yes. relatively new – I think communications structure the foundation, and you guys I still didn't know where the bathroom was. I don't think you guys decide to put the grant deep perception report on your probably at that point somewhat new website, yep. um, and 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 you do that based on one conversation. So I want you to reflect on that. But here was the thing I was thinking when when you we were talking about that. I'm like, you know, there's something so wonderful about this version of philanthropy and doing this work, which is it's a good idea. You just do it. Mm-hmm. You didn't talk about mm-hmm. how you took that concept, you brought it through four intervening committees, oh, right? You, and, and, yeah. I, and I do think there's this thing about the maturation of the field where there's the discipline that comes from doing stuff well and thoughtfully, but then there's also that, you know what, I'm sitting in the chair and I'm going to try to make the right call and I'm going to do this today. There's some interesting balance in there. But so talk to me about that whole thing about dropping that on your website because I loved how you were like, oh, and your colleagues were not that happy. No, they, they were really mad at me Well, for two reasons. Well, they weren't mad at me because we didn't go through process. They were just mad at me because they you were going to they were going to have to go through process because because <laughs> oh, decision making uh, we've talked about this before foundations can be timid and yeah. you know back in two thousand three or two thousand four whenever this was yeah. foundations can be, were even more timid because they were didn't uh, understand the value of communications as well as they do now and some of them understand it quite well but the idea that you would just go ahead and share that information f- felt. It was just weird, mm-hmm. and Paul has always been, or Paul Bressett was led a very transparent organization, and he it just made sense to him that you would share that information, and there was nothing wrong, there was nothing in there that that you couldn't learn from, and by sharing it publicly, you're holding yourself to account. He just had you know good values, mm-hmm. which drives decision making, and so I think at organizations that they just haven't articulated what those how they want to think about communications then you have to go through a process because you don't have any you don't have any any um a roadmap 
for mm. that kind of stuff. And, mm. and for Paul, because it was intuitive and because he had the authority as the CEO to make that decision and the full support of his board, he didn't have to go through, you know, the tortures of the dam to get a to get a decision made. Yeah, so that that's you know, I, I think people are much better at it now than they have been. I think the transparency movement has been helpful. I've said this a million times. I'm all for glass pockets, although glass trousers is <laughs> where I draw the line. I don't think you have to say everything that you do. Yeah. But it, by and large, to, the more you can talk about what you're thinking, what you're learning, what you what went wrong, the better off your organization will be. And this isn't just foundations. This is nonprofits. This is anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys did get into a master's class about communications and brand in the foundation context. And I actually I appreciated um Phil sharing a story. He put something out on Twitter about foundations and their voice and, and then apparently <laughs> got roasted. It was about brand. He also right? – and you, 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 I thought, had a really thoughtful uh, comment about brand. I also thought one of – there was a very um, – it's, it's a very tight snippet in the book. But he actually talks about one of his own personal experiences talking to a foundation officer who mm-hmm. just didn't understand what he was talking about right. or what he was trying to do. He didn't name any names, but I, I thought, you know, Phil, you could probably write an entire book about that too. Yeah. You know, just about the kind of wisdom and, you know, just, just balance that has to go along with that. But my goodness, I, and I wanted to read them all. We can't do it. There's so many names in this book. There's so many people he's talked to. It's, it's, it, it, it allows you to see and touch all these people doing their work. But in, in terms of your conversation about communication, so the fact that he gave five pages to foundation-level communications, mm-hmm. he gave – 10 pages to goals and 12 pages to strategy. So we're actually doing well. But also, also it's, um, it's almost like a, a roster of people we should have on this show. So the last comment I'll make is he mentioned and we could pick out any number of these, but um, the Civil Marriage Collaborative. Yeah. And the work of that campaign, and it's $153 million, and it's evidence-based, and they were doing the wrong thing, and then they shift it, and then they change the world. Can we please get them on this podcast? Because, I mean, so, so, so that stuff, to me, he's, he's kind of referring to it as successful philanthropy and strategy. Right. And I look at that and I'm like, and actually, that's communication. That's communication. Yes. It was very, very much about communications. It's yeah. all of those things go together. You couldn't extract communications from a smart strategy if you, if you tried. Well, what a treat. And so my last comment, and again, can we please just say thank you to Phil? And, you know, I was reading the book and listening to you guys talk, and I'm like, you know what? Phil, write more books. We need to hear from Phil's. And, and, and if you're listening to this podcast, write your book. I want to listen and hear from Phil. I was thinking I was reading his book. And I'm like, you know, what am I not doing as a result of reading Phil's book? I'm not obsessing about headlines that make me want to scream, you know? <laughs> and, and so here, here's an interesting uh, one in the comments about the book. Phil Buchanan knows and celebrates the, the diversity of the nonprofit sector from the smallest community-based organizations to the largest university or museum, from the individual donor making small annual gifts to her favorite charities to the largest private foundation awarding hundreds of millions in grants, Giving Done Right is full of data, insights, and helpful suggestions for us all. That comes from Carol Larson, President and CEO of the David and Lucille Packard Foundation. And um, I don't think Carol puts her name on that if she doesn't believe it. And oh, no. I think that's, that's what totally Phil agree. has done here. Well, he's been great, and thank you again, Phil. You're you're quite right. He's been generous, and he did take my heat. Oh, and, man. And he did it well, and man. that's the point. Phil, thank you. We both bought your book. We love the book. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Okay, everybody, that's it for this episode. Please let us know if you have any thoughts about what you heard today or people we should have on the show, and that includes yourself. And we'd like to thank Maggie Brown, our intrepid production coordinator. Sarah Morgan, our tireless social and digital media maven. John Ali, the tuneful and inspiring composer of our theme music. Ben Rockwood, our brilliant partner behind the production curtain. The John S. and James L. Knight Foundation for supporting this work and for a host of other important initiatives, particularly around communications and journalism. Thank you, thank you. And we certainly thank our guests and, of course, all of you. And thank you, Mr. Brown. (laughs) No, no, no. Thank you, Mr. Brown. (laughs) Till next time. Let's hear it. 